0: Welcome to another episode of We Don't Die, where my goal is to give you evidence that although our bodies will disappear, we survive physical death. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the book, We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. And I have a question for you. What do these things have in common? The U.S. Army, a helicopter paramedic, the chief of police, a private investigator, banking, and being a national trainer? What do you think? Well, if you guessed that it must be the guest on our show today, you're correct, and his name is Robert Tremblay. Robert has traveled an extraordinary road from a near-death to healing after several terminal diagnoses, including a journey through hospice and a near-death experience. He's the author of 20 Seconds, a true account of survival and hope. But his story isn't about dying, it's about living. So I'd like Robert to share his story in a little bit more depth than I just gave you right now. Um, Again, his name is Robert Trembley. So Robert, welcome to We Don't Die Radio.
1: Oh, thank you for having me, Sandra. You're such a blessing.
0: Oh, well, ditto back at you. And it's so interesting because when I put together what I'm going to say about a guest beforehand... You have so much. I'm like, oh my God, this guy's incredible. So I figured it'd probably be easier for you to introduce yourself and tell the story rather than me to put it all together. So I know you're originally from Vermont, but that's not where you're living now, right?
1: Right, right. I moved out to Phoenix, Arizona about a year and a half ago.
0: Nice place to be.
1: Yes, you know I'm my office is outside by my pool, and I just giggle almost every day coming out to go to work. Uh, I'm thinking <laughs> of my loved ones in uh, two Beautiful. feet of snow, so
0: yes, that would be us actually, well, not yet.
1: But it's coming. Not yet, right.
0: No, yes, we're recording this at the end of October in 2015 because you never know when someone's going to be listening and it's just approaching winter for us. So if you would, just give a little bit of your, your back story. I mean, um, you've had an incredible life as far as careers. So if you would, just kind of maybe take us through that and, and how you got into the this whole world.
1: Sure, sure, yes. You know, you you bring up a valid point. There's so many aspects of the story that it's it's become a marketing problem. Uh, there's just so many different populations with interest in aspects of the book. Um, but I guess you know my story really began five years ago uh, when I was diagnosed terminal with 30 days to live, just out of the blue. Um, obviously, wow. I had I had been sick, of course, and and knew I was sick, and had. Ironically, it was just hard for me. I went to the doctors, which I rarely do, mm-hmm. and. Um, it just never got picked up. And, you know, when I was diagnosed suddenly that quickly, you know, that is a 22nd conversation that I won't ever forget that emergency room in uh, North Carolina. Um, And it was the proverbial, you need to get your affairs in order. And, you know, I just remember thinking, I thought that was just on TV. They said that.
0: Oh, how scary. Uh,
1: Yeah. You know, very surreal. And, uh, you know, we were good with, there were some experimental treatments that they tried to put me in, but it was ruled that I was too sick to continue with those and it would ruin their, you know, thing. So I, I went home to make plans in North Carolina to die. And Mm -hmm. uh, after three or four weeks of, you know, being bedridden and um, my family, my brother and my sister came to pick me up in North Carolina and drove me home to Vermont because I felt that that was the place I wanted to pass away and close to family. And,
0: where were you working at the time?
1: Um at the time I was working as a consultant training around the country so I was constantly in different airports and running around crazy as always.
0: Yeah, okay.
1: Training automobile dealerships and finance specialists mm-hmm. as well as banks. Right. Uh, collection efforts and how to find folks. So it was a great career um following police work so mm-hmm. I I enjoyed it. And ironically, it gave me a lot of experience in speaking in the public eye. So that uh, certainly comes in handy today.
0: Yeah. Funny how that happens, isn't it? Anyways, go back to your story. Yes.
1: So I got to Vermont after, uh, you know, I I barely remember the trip. My brother had uh, is a retired chief of police as well. And uh, he had plotted the course home, knowing where every hospital was in case I didn't make it. He really didn't think I would, but I did. And so they lodged me in the hospital, and uh, that hospital in Burlington, Vermont, mm-hmm. uh, UVM Medical Center, um, thought maybe they could make a difference, and they said it would be horrendous and a challenge, but they thought it was worth a try. and And by then, I was so out of it, in and out of a coma, basically, that I really didn't understand what was happening, and and I had pretty much given up.
0: Can I ask um, what kind of cancer you had?
1: Well, what was a cancer. The- This is the irony of the story. It wasn't cancer was the original diagnosis, Um, although I've had cancer since. But Uh, uh, I was 38 days into a 30-day death sentence when I had what I thought at the time, Sandra, was a dream. uh Um, Although it was so vivid and so real that I didn't understand it, obviously, a lot like many say in retrospect now. But Uh uh, very confusing. But I literally woke up from... This dream and asked to see every one of my doctors, which they all did, and they all stared at me in amazement that a comatose man had just woken up, and I told them that I had an experience of some nature and that I'm supposed to do something important, and that was what I was told in my experience, and I literally woke up and started fighting that day with uh, the grace of God and, and all of those doctors and family and friends. That supported me, and then that began the four year journey of of recovery. Really, uh, that uh, had some ups and downs, and a journey through hospice. But uh, um, I think we've now been had six surgeries in the last two years to remove one carcinoma or another from my body. But the irony of the story, Sandra, was you know I started sharing the near death experience, although it was something I didn't believe in prior. To mm-hmm. be to be fair, right? I get um, it. Although I was raised religious, I just assumed it was a dying brain. But what I discovered was over the next three or four years, the after effects uh, were so profound and so confusing um, and so timed and synchronistic to, uh, to the research that's out there today um, in the after effects. And it just was so clear to me that those after effects are the proof that I needed. Um, You're
0: but- outside now, aren't you, by the pool doing this interview?
1: Yes. Is it troubling?
0: Yeah, it is. I'm a little bit ticked off. It's okay. I'll get it's over okay. it. It's okay. I can move inside. No, I'm just teasing. It's like, I'm just getting this visual. There's just a few puffy clouds, beautiful blue sky, you're out by the pool, airplanes going by. So I'm just a little jealous, so don't mind me.
1: Well, I won't mention that I'm floating on a raft. You're not. I am.
0: You are? Oh, my.
1: <laughs> I, I find it's the best place to do a radio <laughs>
0: that's amazing (laughs) well this is a first and it's awesome it's really funny too okay well (laughs) now we've taken a detour can you i I know there's much more to share but when you had the uh near-death experience um i know you said that you're told Mm. like you've got things to do like you've got a reason to live but uh, what was the experience like i I, um, well, there's yeah, so many different is- stories and uh, like different people. There's always different stories. But what do you remember?
1: Well, you know, it's something I won't ever forget for mm-hmm. sure. It uh, I often describe it as realer than me and you talking today, really. And, and I guess I knew that's why it wasn't a dream. But regardless, I obviously had other things on my calendar just trying to survive. So right. I, I documented quite a few after effects. But the, the experience itself, I it was it was very strange and it took a long time to be able to describe it as i'm sure you can imagine with your experiences mm-hmm. um but i found myself in a in a giant expanse it was a dark expanse of nothingness if i define that right it mm-hmm. just was black and and void of of anything other than a, a vibrational hum and a certain odor that i recall and and specifically and uh, just a, a sensation, almost like your hair standing up. Um, I don't know, kind of like an electrical thing. Um, but there was a very calming humming sound. I, I recall that specifically. But in the distance, I had seen what looked like a crescent um, edge, I guess I, I I called it originally, almost like a red ribbon in the distance that seemed to be curved and arced and circular, mm-hmm. but I couldn't see how big it was. And ironically, I, as it got bigger and bigger, I had the sense I was moving towards it or it was moving towards me. I'm still not sure. I wasn't walking. I, I had no weight that I recall. Um, but I, I, I remember this red ribbon coming towards me and it changed colors as it got closer, similar to, I described like a sunset. Mm-hmm. its it you know goes from red to oranges to pinks to right even right. A, even a purple but by the time i got to that expanse which seemed like forever but yet just seconds right. it's so odd to describe the timing um but anyway at as i got to the edge uh, without trying to i found myself literally balancing over the edge my feet were more than three quarters of the way over and there was no possible way if this were a precipice that I could balance but I remember specifically thinking I'm not falling I'm not having a balance issue mm-hmm. um, but there was nothing I, I remember thinking is this a volcano that I'm coming to I, I don't know why that was the first thought but that's what the the ring looked like in the distance if I can explain that mm-hmm. correctly so there I was standing over the edge of this now reddish pink ribbon and staring down into nothingness still. And a small light appeared and, and grew bigger and larger. And, and then it was, seemed like it was a good distance away from me, but yet I felt like I could touch it. And it was swirling in motion and very colorful and specific. Uh, the humming increased the static feeling increased, The even the taste and the smell increased. And I watched this ball of light, circular motion, kind of like almost squeezing into a donut shaped every once in a while. But I could see a center, a defined almost black hole center. Um, and in that center was where a face eventually materialized. Wow. And it encompassed basically the entire light. And its defining points of the face and the hair were were defined by a, a bluish streak. Um, I, I kind of sometimes compare it to when you're looking at a cloud and suddenly a face appears kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, it was very clear. He was older for sure, weathered. Um, a longer flowing hair, but not straight, somewhat of a curl. And it was just his shoulders and above. And it was a very overwhelming sense of peace and tranquility. And I wasn't scared and I realized this wasn't a volcano. And, and I honestly thought this was the face of God. Mm -hmm. And, and we looked at each other and, and then there were words and, um, which was weird because no one's lips moved and nobody, you know what I mean? It was just a different way to hear. Maybe I don't know how to describe it, Sandra. Um, So I, I was always confused at first who spoke first, but the words were, are you ready? And I really didn't feel any ambiguity in that question. I knew exactly what it meant. And, and frankly, in, in back in bed in the hospital, I was very well prepared for my end and had come to terms with it. So my response shocked me, I guess, in that I said, no, I'm not. Uh, and I didn't think about it. It just came out, and I don't even remember moving my lips either. But anyway, uh, a smile started forming in this light uh, of this man's face. And started as a smirk and grew, and he's just, all he said was, there's something important you're supposed to do. And his smile widened, and I reached out, didn't think I could touch it, but I did, and I touched his face and his cheek, and I felt like my body and my teeth were going to fall out. I, it, it, it wasn't painful, it was more of a, gosh, a vibration,
0: maybe? Right, yeah.
1: Um, And the smell and the odor and the taste even was, it just exploded inside of me and the light. And the next thing I knew, I was weightless and floating and laughing. And I woke up and I was at my bed at the hospital in Vermont. And I woke up and said, I have to see all of my doctors right now. And that's uh, that's how we began that treatment. and. Wow.
0: I want to um, share never s-
1: never forget their faces looking at me I'm you know, they, sure they I've, just what the hell is going on they I want like to
0: share something quick with you just cuz the way you described the uh the face um I was sitting on an airplane with a guy and he had told me that his son had um tried to swim um, when the one father was paying attention to the other son. Anyways, bottom line is the kid drowned and they resuscitated and brought up to the hospital. And finally, when the kid could talk, just little, like three or four years old, um, the father said, you know, what were you trying to do? And I was trying to swim, Daddy. And then what happened? Well, I started, he, however, he started swallowing the water. And then what happened? And then he said, then I started floating to the sky. And he says, the big face was there. Mm-hmm. and it and like the big face in the clouds and he said it was time for me to go back home to daddy and I mean, but so when you were wow. telling this story
1: from the mouths of babes
0: yeah and you right. but it's just like that the big face it just uh, that's all i wanted to say it's just amazing
1: really well amazing. The, the the complete irony of it was i you know at first i didn't recognize this experience i called it a dream um and i spoke very little about it mm-hmm. obviously I, I it was a very personal thing for me and and you know i struggled for a long time with what is important that i'm supposed to do what right. what is that carrot and I, and i still continue to chase that and i'm mm-hmm. perfectly okay with it but you know you, you i laugh about it a little and i try to take a lot of my life as as with humor and And I think, you know, you can't be more specific up there, guys, really. Um, But, you know, I find that comical. But the interesting thing was three years after this experience during uh, what we hoped was the end of most of the medical treatment. I think I was fourth or fifth surgery by this time. And so anyway, we were having a Christmas get together, which I was so you can imagine me sitting there three years later thinking I shouldn't mm. even be here. Yep. So, <laughs> you know, Christmas is just every day for me. So I'm sitting there and our families are exchanging our gifts and I just feel so blessed to be there. And my mom hands out her traditional Tremblay calendar, which we all fight for the cover photo of every year. It's just a tradition in the family, a joke that we yes. all enjoy. You know, it has family photos all through it. And sure. So anyway, I'm Thumbing through my newest edition, and I go to my birthday month to obviously see if I'm highlighted in there, mm-hmm. so I can complain to my mother that I'm not getting enough press from our own family calendar. Right, and there is a old picture of a man that she had discovered, and I fell right back in my seat; I couldn't breathe. That man in that calendar's picture was the same man in my experience that said I was supposed to do something important. Although I didn't recognize him, um, I found right then and there, that day, it changed everything again. That man was my grandfather who died 28 years before I was born.
0: Oh, my gosh. I'm flooded with goosebumps right now.
1: That was when I put it together, that Mm -hmm. it was a near-death experience and obviously you know i was dealing with a lot of after effects at that point and frankly thought i was might be might have cracked with all the four years of trauma but uh um you know it it uh when i connected with the near death community and found out that i'm not going crazy that these are normal and it was so weird to read some you know i don't read others experiences sandra which i find strange but I I just can't do it. I don't know why. But I've read a couple of books, only two or three, Anita Morhani's, Mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Alexander's, and I have read two or three of PMH Atwater's books on After Effects. Um, But I just can't read other stories or other NDE books, and I don't know why. I think it's kind of ironic. But um, anyway, when I was reading PMH Atwater's 40-year research on After Effects, I thought she had hacked into my computer. I mean, they were spot on in the exact timing, exact sequence of her 40-year research on the after effects, and it dawned on me at that point that this is the real proof people are looking for, and it's so ironic to me that they all read the experience, you know, the drama, the, Mm -hmm. the man in the light, and I get it, but... You know, the, those folks who are struggling for answers, I, I encourage them all in my conversations and speeches around the world to, the proof is in the bubbles. Well,
0: uh, not to ask a dumb question, effects. but what do you mean by after effects? I've never heard it put that way.
1: So well, I think I know what are, you're
0: talking about, but I'd like it you know, if you could spell it out. In what we're
1: there looking. are timed and synchronistic after effects that have been found Um in common with almost every near-death experiencer. And it and it's so frighteningly synchronistic and similar that it's hard to not pay attention to it. And this was kind of where I gravitated towards in my speaking and education throughout um, was, you know, if you're looking for proof of the afterlife, you know, science when we can't when we can't see something in science, we generally use something, and, and you may have heard this before, uh, like a gas, if we want to study a gas, but we can't see it. What science does is they actually inject it into water, and they creates bubbles. They mm-hmm. can study the bubbles. And I find that very astute and synchronistic to the after effects of a near-death experience in that The proof really is in the bubbles. It's not in the experience. And and I sense that a lot of people find great comfort from the reading different experiences. But as you know, Sandra, they're also remarkably different.
0: Oh, big time. Like as many different people, there's many different experiences.
1: And I think people read a lot of them grasping for the similarities. And there are some, you know, bare roots, bones, similarities, in NDEs. You know, but the proverbial tunnel that people experience, almost 80% of the tunnel is never experienced in a a near-death experience. Now, that doesn't mean that somebody who did see a tunnel, you know, it it isn't valid. It's just they have done so much research now on the after effects that they're just begging to be paid attention to.
0: Can you give us some examples of what after effects are? Like what some of those things are?
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the first things I noticed about myself was a childlike innocence. Like I was seeing things for the first time. And I don't care if it was a blade of grass or a specific sunset. It just all seemed alive and magical. And I, I could find an hour's worth of time on a blade of grass. It was very weird. And, but to a guy who, you know, spent his career 100 miles an hour with his hair on fire, right? you know, I'd sit out in, in, in nature and be lost for hours and think, well, this isn't normal behavior. <laughs> right. So, you know, that was one of the first things. Um, Some of the other things that they talk about, and there are hundreds, by the way, of after effects, but, and I encourage people to read up on them. That's your real proof to me. But, you know, one of the big things that a lot of people gravitate towards is most near-death experiencers um, start having psychic abilities. Okay. And, you know, the the drama of that and the excitement of that, I think, uh, tunnel visions people into that curiosity, but it's... Um, that is a, a pretty heavy after effect at first when you start understanding energy and and auras and things yeah. you just never spent time contemplating, you know, and you realize, I guess, that there's a oneness to this world and the separate divisiveness that we live in every day. We just, we just know, and I think you do too, it's inherently wrong. Um, we all come back with this idea of a oneness, and it's overwhelming. Um, many of us come back with with delusions of grandeur and that we must tell this story. And and maybe delusions of grandeur isn't the best title for that, but it's no, it, I it's, know what you mean, just that real a feeling, yeah, yeah, you you know, share. just like yours, too. yeah. yeah. To reach out to people and share your your story, and and now you're sharing other people's stories. Uh-huh. I mean, that was one of the most profound for me was understanding the reflection the f- reflection of life, and, and most near death experiencers just kind of get it. It's it is fairly simple. What you give out, you get back. And it's so overwhelming for us that we feel like we want to spend time helping humanity in some way. We want to tell our story. We want to um, try to save people that crazy journey that uh, unfortunately some have to just go through. Yes,
0: right, right. Um, It's interesting you say what you give out, you get back. And um, every single person that I've interviewed about Who's had a near death experience are so passionate about making a difference in other people's lives. It's, I mean, it's like the one thing that resonates yeah. through the commonality of all of them. I mean,
1: it's it's amazing. probably the biggest after effect for sure.
0: Yeah, and the memory and people either they had a near death experience when they were five years old or they mm. recently had it. it. It was it stays more real in their memory than something that just happens. I mean it's and that's mind blowing as well. True. You know, how real it, it just stays, you know, the experience. Wow. And,
1: and you still get little gifts occasionally, the I don't you know, the after effects if you really study them. And I and I do encourage PMH Atwater just has done so much exclusive research on these things that it, it's it's hard to ignore. But um that lovingness that you feel and you know you i think one of the biggest issues for me was just and maybe it's just this simple i for for a guy like me i wake up every day and just say thanks you know it's and maybe it's just that simple it is living in a world of gratitude every day man i just don't see ugly things anymore and i'm so grateful you know, that is, to me, the best gift of all.
0: Yeah. What do I ask you next?
1: <laughs> wow. Right? Yeah,
0: how about that? I, right? I mean, I'm I'm picturing this world, and I'm really touched and moved, and it's like, okay. And now I'm at a loss. Like, you have me so in the moment. Where do we go?
1: Well, I know, you know, and it's so funny that a, a few times that I've had these interviews, and I've done several, obviously, but mm-hmm. it... it if I get on with two other women talking or another two men talking, they'll take over the whole conversation because it's just it's inspirational, not what I've been through, but the story itself and and that hope, I think is just exciting. so I just you know I just want to share the story, but I try to be careful about taking a position on anything. Um, you know, I don't want to convince anybody of anything. that's not the idea of my book so
0: well, um, and it doesn't work.
1: No, and you know that whole we try to save people from that journey, Sandra? I just don't think that cuts it.
0: Yeah, you know what? I think it's like going... They have to
1: have their own experience. Yeah, and, and it doesn't require almost dying. No, I don't No, but eat. it's
0: like going to school. There's right. a difference between a kid that never goes to school and a kid that goes to school. So, like, I, without the books, without me learning about things, um, like all uh, my own education into this world really helped me get to a place that I wouldn't have been before so I think you your book your speaking all of that can help propel a person now some of those real hardcore experiences you know I think there are certain things we're meant to learn you know Mm. and that's why some of the things hurt so bad and things like that like we we have to do some for ourselves
1: well, and they obviously are the most profound, impactful moments of our lives. Yeah, Usually, sure they the, are. you know the darker the clouds, the better the sunset. I've heard said before. Oh, I,
0: that's really nice. Let's write that down. Darker the clouds, the better or, the su-
1: the what the sunset. Better the sunset the or
0: better, sunrise? Yeah, oh, it's good.
1: But it's true. That's what provides the color and, you know, the irony of the yin and yang of this world, I, I find comical. Um, but, you know, I still go through different episodes like everybody does in, in life. And But I just, you know, it's so weird for me now. I just, I don't know if this is wrong to say, but I, I have for most of my life followed one piece of advice from my father. Mm-hmm. And he told this to me when I went into basic training in the army, he said, son, make a game of it. Life is just a game. It's all an illusion, but if you make a game of it, you're always going to have fun with it and people have fun with you. And I've just, you know, maybe I laughed when I shouldn't have laughed when I was in hospice for two months. Maybe I giggled when the doctors, you know, had no hope. Um, but, I'd laughed all the way through this whole experience. And I think it spoke volumes in in my family's connectivity that legitimately saved me. Um, and, and I struggled for a while thinking, how do you explain that love can save? Yes, Um, you know, I, and not sound corny about it. And, and I don't mean to sound weird, but it, you know, all the studies today on the placebo and the nocebo, Uh You know, I found great peace recently in doing my research on another book where Harvard University did a study about finally somebody did a study on why the placebo works. Imagine that. And, and and I'm encouraging that research, by the way, and trying to propagate that in my conversations around the country. Is is, you know, I'm tired of every drug being in a placebo by law, but nobody studies why the placebo is even in place. Right. We're missing the entire turkey dinner here, Mm -hmm. Um, but it was interesting. Harvard just did a study uh, recently and published, and they said the irony of the placebo is that it works even when the consumer knows it's a placebo, and what they were able to determine that in almost 96% of the cases where a, a placebo is affected, it's affected by the caregiver or nurturer who gave the medication not by the medication. So I think that's powerful, powerful study. And I'm pushing it as we talk around the world that it wasn't the pill and it's never been the placebo. It's always been the caregiver, Mm -hmm. the person who hands you the pill, the person who believes in you, who loves you and supports you. And, And there is some scientific doctrine that will attach to my story of, can love be enough to save you? I suspect, you know, again, I don't take a position on it, but it's fairly clear in the book that, you know, the love of my sister, Kate, Tom picking me up, not knowing if I'd make it home. All of the individual people I realized after my experience came to me for a reason at exactly the right time, at exactly the right place, manner and sequence. And that is one of the biggest things I discovered was that whole philosophy—do we all cross paths for a reason? It was undisputable to me, and and I talk about that a lot as well. It's been uh, it's been one of the best gifts.
0: Oh, what a wonderful thing! And even you talking about um, love can save, and, and I'm thinking of you being humorous when you were in hospice. I, there's the given way I think most people go down that road is is fear, thinking about the what you've done and what you haven't done, and I mean it's frightening and what a gift to be with someone who has life as a game and made it makes a game of it. I mean it's like extremely empowering and I think one of the things both of us share is when we can really believe that this life isn't just it. You know, there are going to be less times of fear and in, in cases like that because you know what we're all going to go, <laughs> right? Eventually. Right. And well,
1: as- Go you ahead. know, you 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 hit on a topic that I think, well, and again, it's hard to not take a position on this. But oh, I, just
0: do it. I'm Live gonna it out. Do it. Yeah, I'm you can do always it change down the road. I, I
1: think this is the absolute <laughs> key to everything. Okay. One of the things that I came back with, and many of us have, as you know, uh-huh. is we lost our fear of death. All right. It's gone. But what's ironic is... Fear in general became a encompassing issue for me for several years after the near death experience. What do you mean? Well, and what I mean by it is, I wasn't afraid. I, I found just the opposite of things that I normally was afraid of uh, just weren't an issue anymore.
0: Oh, that's good news.
1: As an example, you know, I started writing about my near death experience. And and that is not something I would have put out there before, and 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 put myself in that limelight of ridicule and, and doubt. And but to be honest, I never considered it once, and I still don't. Um, but you know, the irony of my story was, I was I wasn't telling the whole story, and I didn't until the book, and it took some time to come to terms with. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was the part of the story. That will shock and amaze, but it's the medical remarkableness of, that, of this fact, Sandra, was that five years ago when I was diagnosed in North Carolina Terminal, I was a married, successful heterosexual man who was told in an emergency room he was dying of end-stage AIDS. Oh. Now, I had never been a risk factor According to the doctors, we have never tested. We, I had been married for ten years. Mm-hmm. Um, I have never been a IV drug user. Obviously, I'd never been in those factors of what doctors consider risk factors. Right. And I thought that was a prevalent fact of my story in why I was diagnosed so late. The fact is, with HIV and AIDS today, you can live a normal, healthy life. If it's caught early enough. Mm -hmm. And a clear lesson in my story was those risk factors, quote unquote, just don't exist. Because as we've discovered over the last couple of years, and you may not know this. In fact, most people I tell this to really shocks them, Sandra. Okay. 40% of all new HIV infections are heterosexual females ages 13 to 24 years old.
0: No, I have not heard that.
1: Yeah. How come? yeah that, that's why I want to talk about it. And you know the remarkable part of the story is that I survived tuberculosis, six surgeries for one carcinoma or another. i I had diabetes, i, I the diseases, I blew up my retinas. they were bleeding. I was blind for four months. But here's the deal: everything is gone, obviously, except the HIV. And I healed everything, but the remarkable part that I wasn't telling was that I did it all without a functioning immune system. And that was the medical part that my doctors encouraged me to talk about. Sure. What it doesn't explain things. Now, we see a lot of near-death and spiritually awakened people having remarkable healings. I've seen several on your show. Right. And and I often hear friends of mine say, boy, that immune system, mm, 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 it is something. How do you explain my story? Exactly. I today have a tenth of your immune system, and I've survived all of that. So that's the position that we're careful not to take, but we leave it up to you to make your determinations. You know, how do you survive tuberculosis? How do you survive and and see again after bleeding retinas and cancer six times? And, I mean, it's just ridiculous the things I went through. And sometimes I don't even realize, you know, how, how long it was of a process. But So the first part of the book tells, you know, what I went through, and, and it brings you in. But, you know, the the remarkable part of it was it was just such a sad, sad situation that never had to happen. And if I can talk about it around the country and raise awareness that this disease has evolved
0: uh-huh. and
1: that our continual focus on uh, marketing different Segments of our of our society may not be the answer here. Um, I want to talk about it with high schools and colleges. I want, I, I I feel compelled to do it, and that's what uh, the book was all about. Frankly, you, you know, I donate a third of my Amazon proceeds to a charity from the book's sales um, called Give a Buck. We we have called it Gab. Because we want to start gabbing about the new HIV statistics that are out there. I guarantee you if you are in a group of 20 adults and you tell them that 40% of new infections are females, they will they will say the same thing you did, Sandra. No, we did not know that. Mm-mm. And that's my real question. Why? So we're going to try to do something about that. Try to make a difference.
0: Oh, sure. And you really have to follow your passion. I think each one of us is given certain things that were to do with, you know, like our, our time's not up yet. You know, we've got things to do, you know, are you ready? <laughs> no, I'm not. Um, but we, they, they're all different. And um, yeah. I know, and so many people are afraid to read a book or write a book, but it's like, if you feel passionate about writing it, there's someone who needs to read it. If you feel passionate about sharing this, there's people that need to hear it. So I really acknowledge you for the difference you're making and even with the people you haven't even met yet, or you may never see that you're empowering.
1: And even well, like- it just seems so obvious, Sandra, that your, your comment earlier about fear, um, <laughs> boy, you just you couldn't have nailed it on the head. And and you know everybody can talk about it and you know tell you the answers to life, and you're just not going to get it till you figure it out for yourself. But fear, I think, is one of the biggest diseases in this world. And I write about it with a lot of extensive medical data from some other great sources in the book and here's the only position- position that I take in the book sandra and i will and I will say this and be happy to say this okay The only position I take in the book is we are more remarkable than we were told
0: <laughs>
1: That's, and that's like, all i want to point out
0: that's so basic yet so humongous.
1: It just is so simple. And this whole fear-oriented nonsense, I just, I smell it from a mile away. I—it It is the absolute answer to me about finding quality of life is recognizing, in my opinion, that fear is an illusion.
0: Yeah, it sure is. And it can seem crippling, though. And yep. boy, does it cause an uproar in the body and in the emotions and things oh. like that.
1: And like, don't think the marketers of our world haven't figured this out yet. Oh,
0: of course they have. But you know what's uh, Something I've realized is um, when I'm actually doing the thing I was afraid of, like fear isn't present in that moment. Right. For instance, you know, if I want to call somebody and, um, you know, I, I had to apologize and I was afraid to call somebody. Sure. And I mean, it took like a month before I could actually <laughs> pick up the phone because I was afraid. But, you know, the moment I pressed... Uh, the send button on my phone, and the person answered. Um, mm. The fear was gone because I yeah. was so present in that conversation, and and it always worked out. I mean, it worked out. But you know, um, I let fear cripple me for about a month.
1: Yeah, you know the 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 fear and the moment in the and being present, huge, just absolutely huge. If you're in that present moment, I believe that's where your body heals, and, and you know, scientifically, I. I do point out that, you know, even down to the basic human cell, it only operates in two functions, Sandra, one of fear or fight or flight and one of growth. And there's no in between. And this is not, this isn't a theory. This is scientific fact that they've been able to determine that right down to the very cell, what happens when you're in a fear or fight or flight state, your cell stops all growth. There's no reason to keep, growing and splitting if you're being chased by a lion. So right. the body actually diverts blood flow and, and all your endocrine system flow to face that fear. So you can see what happens to the human body when the illusion of fear is in place. Now, don't get me wrong. Danger is real.
0: Sure. Yeah.
1: Fear is is an illusion and it is perceived and manifested by us. And I have a fairly decent understanding of that and it's helped my life greatly.
0: Uh, Any advice if we're in the midst of fear? To you know, because that sounds pretty Mm. scary. Fear stopping the growth of a cell, you know, and maybe I'm not being chased by a lion, but
1: I'm afraid.
0: Any tools for moving to that growth as opposed to being in the fear? I mean, I I don't.
1: That's a great question because you know, I I often remind people, and and it sounds silly and stupid, maybe, but you know, you're still batting a thousand. You've made it through everything. And and I believe, if you're honest with yourself, even the hardest moments of your life, it, unless they happened in the last few weeks, I think you'll agree that it, it was the best thing that ever happened. And it's just that time to find those conclusions. And, you know, the rough times are going to come, Sandra. Mm-hmm. I know it. You know it but it's your attitude during them. That's what's important. And, you know, I have a very firm foundation on thought and the power of thought and what we think about, we manifest and I, I get it. So if I'm having issues with fear or things like that, I remind myself, be careful what you think of Robert, because it'll happen. So I just try to clean my, my mind up in my attitude of, if something terrible is about to happen, then I'm I'm pretty sure – nope, I'm 100% sure that it was meant for me at exactly this time so that I would evolve to my fullest potential.
0: Boy, is that a powerful way to live life because I know, and I've talked about this before, it's so easy to become a victim, and you oh. can stew on something for 30 years, but if you're to say to yourself, like, okay – this is showing up for a reason. What am I going to learn out of it? How come I put I put this here? Yeah. Just saying. And um, the
1: quicker you learn from it and let it go, you know, I think life is all about recovery. You're never going to avoid these situations. Wow. But how fast you recover is in direct proportion to your commitment to the quality of your life.
0: Really great words. Really great words. Wow, our time's going by fast. Okay, more questions you need me to ask you.
1: Mm. Uh, family, I think okay. you know that was um, such a, a big impact for me in not only the placebo and the caregiver nurturer, uh, but you know when I originally wrote my book, Sandra, I wanted to to pay tribute to those you know my brother who drove me almost dead home, and mm-hmm. you know all of those people who dealt with that. My poor mother, you know you you have children. You know, it was so hard for a mom to watch that. And so that was really the the true start of the book was to just say, look at what the difference you can make in somebody's life. And I, I, I struggled at, at first because as you probably know, Sandra, when you get sick, people treat you different and there's nothing you can do about it. Some people just handle it differently and I get it. But when you're dying, holy cow. You watch what happens. People will take one of two routes, um, run, yeah. you know, or, and I get it, uh, or they'll support and the power of a 20 seconds moment of somebody just reaching out and saying, how's your day? You can do it or something positive. I'm just thinking about you. Just wanted to tell you, I loved you. Those quick, moments were just as impactful as that 20 second dialogue in that emergency room that day so I just I respect people who run from the dying I get it but it doesn't mean I'm going to be quiet about what the difference is if you choose differently
0: right I and I, and I know people my dad diagnosed twice with cancer and once 30 years prior he got 30 days to live like you did and um he didn't, you know, and I, I know from his stories, he had some friends run and he had a couple ones that stayed close. And even yeah. this last time, which ended up being the end of him, uh, you know, I could see people running yeah. people. It, it, and I'm not one to blame somebody unless you're in somebody's shoes. You really do not know how a situation is a situation exactly. is occurring, occurring and people don't know how to handle it and talk yeah. about you know flight <laughs> taking oh, flight
1: it is so funny and and you know i think i might have been like that too I, you know we grow up in a in a world where your first experience at a funeral at least mine was you know this sobbing crying miserable oh my lord it's so awful death experience that's your first experience with death yeah and you know, just imagine having a different view like you and I do, and then try to explain that to someone who's grieving. It's 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 impossible. Yeah,
0: and sometimes the best thing to say is, you know what? I don't know what to say. I don't know what you're yeah. feeling, but I love you, and I'm here for you. Right. You don't have to pretend to have any answers. You don't need to give any wisdom, any words, any advice. You just, nope. just say, "I'm here. I'm here for you."
1: I mean, no. And you're. That's so astute of you to say because it is an awkward thing, isn't it? When yeah. you. Oh yeah talk with somebody who's just gone through a loss. And, you know, for me, I want to say, and I hope this doesn't sound mean, but I have to bite my tongue to say, oh, congratulations for them. Um, and, and, you know, I don't obviously say that. That would be just cruel. But for those of us who've been there and know what's waiting for...
0: <laughs> There's something good. Oh, man. Yeah. And,
1: and why wouldn't you want to share that? It's, yeah. you know, one of the most specific things you will hear in near-death experiences. The majority of them are peaceful, pleasant, unbelievably pleasant experiences. Right. And I'm all about that. But one thing I do I do believe, and I will say, is, you know, people ask me all the time, well heaven, what was heaven like? And I find it funny because I'm not sure I went to heaven. And and so I've had to form opinions on On things in in this realm, but based off of my research, it seems to me that heaven, whether you like it or not, is going to be exactly what you think you deserve, and I suspect that's a fairly heavy responsibility that most don't find very appealing, and I could be completely wrong, but it's ironic that these near-death experiencers are also uniquely different. And framed in their own frame of mind from the the experiencer themselves. You know, if they grew up in in the winter, their near-death experience was snowy. Um, You know, my experience, I thought I was on the edge of a volcano. And frankly, I I was deciding whether to live or die based on the shame of getting HIV. Sure. And, you know, I had whatever experience happened in that hospital, I will say this happened at exactly the right time, manner, and timing, that I needed to find the hope to start trying to survive. And nobody could have given it to me but that experience, and I'm forever changed by it.
0: Wow. Robert, thank you so much. It Um, was
1: awesome talking with you. Just
0: wonderful. So sometimes I like to ask a guest, if you were to give somebody just a little bit of homework one simple thing we can do today just mm-hmm. one or one thing we can think about do you have any uh, idea what that would be from you
1: yeah well there would be a few um, but going back to my purpose and my cause in life and I and I'll, I'll say it with this caveat Sandra mm-hmm. that Recently, I told you more than 40% of new HIV infections are female 13 to 24 years of age. But here's something a little more alarming. 60% of those females in the United States don't know they're infected. Oh, my gosh. So guess what my word to you is?
0: Go get yourself checked.
1: Please. For God's sakes. We don't need to be math geniuses to know that 40% of 35 million people don't, and 60% of them don't know they're infected and they're in childbearing years. I don't think that math has to be real smart um, to know that in three years, those num- those numbers will triple.
0: Yeah, so certainly share, right? It's and a, let it's a know tipping this.
1: point yeah. and, and this is it. And I hope this book pushes it over the edge. Um, the irony is that I seem to get a lot of flack from the gay community about not focusing on their community. And, you know, that's one of the real reasons why it's gone out of control in the other communities. Um, and I will point out that, you know, when we start marketing to the whole instead of to one individual dynamic in society, um, I think that just makes more sense
0: yeah and the whole controversy of that will just get the message out further, so let them say what they want to say and right. and, and you know, all that, and trust the process.
1: you're so right and so astute on that point. it's um uh, God help me the day we take ownership of a disease to the point of that. Uh, I just want people to understand it can happen to anybody yeah and and don't get me wrong, it's not about getting famous standing up and telling the world you made mistakes. God knows I have, mm-hmm. um, but I'm okay with it. If if I can make this mistake that I made into something valuable for somebody else,
0: you know what, Robert? We wouldn't enjoy listening to you if you were perfect. Like mm. nobody wants to hear a story of somebody rich and that's always been. You know, like tell me about the guy who had nothing and yeah. made something of himself. You know, that's inspirational and that gives people hope that. They may not be in your shoes or even similar, but to hear from the depths of what you experienced to where you are now, and it's about making a difference, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's inspiring. And that makes people look at their own life, I think, and look to see where they can make a difference. And,
1: exactly.
0: yeah, to know, are you ready? No, I'm not. You know, I love <laughs> that.
1: And it was so weird because I just you know I was like I almost like questioned myself, <laughs> so yeah, that was a funny moment.
0: yeah, let me ask you just a, a quick question that I written down. You had spoken earlier about a near death community, um, many people, including myself in the beginning, I had no idea how many people really have had near death experiences right. Right. and if somebody wants to find out more. About near death experiences, besides you know, typing it into Google, what do you mean by the near death community? There actually
1: actually is a very, um, a very established community that's over 50 years old. Um, There are several main pillars in the community, Um, many can find good help and resources on Facebook. They have several near death experience groups if you just search them out. Um, But the other pillars of information and research in the near-death community um, would be, I guess, not necessarily in any semblance of order, but um, INS or the International Association of Near-Death Science. Mm -hmm. Um, That is one of the major groups in the world. Um, There's also a group called NDERF, or short for Near-Death Experience Research Foundation. Okay. Um, they have an extensive website of experiences um, and data as well. Um, and then, of course, there's near-death.com run by Kevin Williams, another fascinating databank of thousands and thousands of experience experiences. Yeah, great. Um, so that will help. Um, and then, of course, if you just Google NDE or near-death experience, there's thousands of books out there. Um, It's really becoming a a boiling point in the last year or two, um, and has really exploded. So I think the message that we have something to share is getting out there, and uh, so there's plenty of places to go.
0: Yeah, and I I ask that just because I know that – Just from people that I've talked to, I've not had a near-death experience. However, hearing the stories really helped me believe. And and there's some things I have personally experienced. And I've had people that are afraid of dying or have lost a loved one. And by nature of me sharing my story, it's taken away other people's fear. So you don't have to pray to have a near-death experience because they're often... <laughs> yeah. Painful leading up to it. Um, but just by hearing other people's words. So on my website, which is We Don't Die Radio.com, um, you can go to Robert Tremblay's episode and see who it is we we're talking to. And I also have all the links to the things that he's shared. And also, why don't you share with us what your website is?
1: Sure. It's on um, 20 seconds.net. And uh, most of my work is done uh, via Facebook or okay. my blog, which you can um, attach from there. I sure will. And the charity is, uh, of course, attached to 20-seconds.net as well.
0: Do you spell out the word 20 or do you do two yes. zero?
1: Okay. yeah, oh, 20-seconds. Yeah, that dash kind of messes people up. But, That's okay. Uh, we'll so get it out there. Right. And then, of course, we have the gab gear. So we sell T-shirts and hats and tote bags and wine gift bags and all marked with gab on it to to start a conversation and and generally people say what is gab and that's a perfect introduction to say wow did you know so that's what we're hoping for
0: wow well robert trembley thank you you're awesome you're, you're awesome.
1: awesome great i just knew we were going to get together and i'm so happy that we just It just worked out like it always does.
0: It is. It is great. It really is. And to our listener, I want to really thank you for taking the time to listen. I know all episodes are different. Some of them really phenomenal and some of them you think, oh, what was Sandra thinking having this person on? But you know what? That's life. And I do believe that for every time you listen, if you can listen in and think there's going to be a gift in here for me. Right, Mm. And that's even when you meet somebody, Robert, when I'm sitting next to somebody on the airplane, sometimes the last thing I want to do is talk to them. But I think, (laughs) you know what, there could be gold in this for me, there could be something some reason, I, I need to be sitting next to this person, something right. either I share with them that makes a difference in their life or vice versa. So, like I said, thank you for listening. With all episodes, I, I do hope you're looking for the gold for your life. Uh, and a reminder to go uh, check out uh, Robert Tremblay's book, 20 Seconds. This is awesome. And in closing, this is Sandra Champlain. I have been your host on We Don't Die Radio. And I do believe that life is an education for our souls and that every single one of us, our lives here on earth are important. And if you were being asked, are you ready? Really? Are you ready to go and let go of this life? I would assume you'd also say, no, I'm not. And I ask you to look inside, look for your passion and go out and make a difference with another person. So thanks for listening and we'll see you soon.